with the best brand of football in Idaho, this is the 8-Man PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. That's right. Welcome in. It is another edition of the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast on IdahoSports.com where we are talking about the 8-Man game week in, week out. My name is Brandon Bainey. We are joined by the coach, Lane Kirkland. What's going on, coach? How are you? Hey, doing well. It's a great uh, evening to talk some football. Can't wait. <laughs> yep, it's going to be a great time for sure. We always record this on Thursday nights. As you're listening to this, it'll be first thing Friday morning in your podcast feed. You can uh, listen to this podcast at IdahoSports.com or wherever you download podcasts, Apple, Google, etc. cetera. Uh, you can, of course, watch the video version of this as well at the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel and Facebook page. And if you were watching the video last week, uh, Coach Kirkland, you were having some technical problems. You tried using the computer at home, and for some reason it makes it look like you're all yellow and white hues. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, I was uh, having a vision of some sort, and things weren't cooperating, so I tapped out for the night. So glad to be back. <laughs> yep. Uh, as as uh, Will Henneke, our other uh, co-host, noted, though, you were technically on the podcast, albeit very briefly, so your perfect attendance streak is still untouched, Coach. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's just you and me tonight. Uh, Will uh, couldn't make it. Unfortunately, he'll be back next week. And so you ready to do the heavy lifting, Coach? Will usually is the guy that's carrying. He's our, he's our bell cow back. It's up to you and me tonight. Boy, we'll see what happens. I'll give it my best shot, Will. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we usually start the prep cast with our game of the week. The best, most exciting game from the previous week that was. And we'll get to that in a second. But... Sometimes there are stories that are bigger than football, bigger than the game. And that certainly happened with Butte County and Kendrick as they met last Friday in a neutral site game in Middleton. It was a game we were broadcasting on IdahoSports.com. And as the game is progressing, coach, in the fourth quarter, what you never want to see happens. A player goes down, has a medical emergency, uh, medical personnel have to attend to to the player, uh, Dylan Waymeyer from Butte County collapsed in the late stages of the game. He wasn't on the field. It was, he was on the sideline and collapsed and medical personnel, you know, the game was halted and ultimately called in the fourth quarter. Kendrick gets the win 50 to 28. That's not super important. What is important is that Dylan was rushed to uh, St. Alphonsus hospital there in the treasure Valley where he is still recuperating and recovering and right away, Coach Kirkland, they have to rush him into emergency surgery. Uh, and he's he's come out the other side of it. But there was a, a, a moment in time there where he was really fighting for his life. And so really scary situation and something you never want to see. Yeah, you, you never want to see a player rushed off the field, let alone just a, a normal injury. And uh, to call a game um, is, a, is a sensitive issue and, and is the most important, of course. And uh Hoping that uh, Dylan is doing well and into recovering. Uh, I know it, uh, they started a GoFundMe, and there's a large amount that people have generously donated. Uh, I've heard as high as 43000 this morning, which is uh, commendable to all those who uh, love the game of football, of course, but also in, in favor of uh, the Waymeyer family, and we wish them the best, of course. Yeah, it was. It's really uh, incredible the the support that has come through for Dylan and his family. So Dylan gets taken to the hospital uh, on Friday evening. 
goes into emergency surgery to remove a blood clot to stop the bleeding and reduce swelling on his brain. And so it's it's a long recovery process. Medical bills are going to pile up. And of course, his family lives in, in Arco and he's in a hospital in Boise. And so that's a long way to travel and, and be away from home. And so that part of it is also difficult. But you're right, Coach. A GoFundMe was started by Angie McAfee, the athletic director at Butte County High School. It was only started five days ago, Coach, and they they started it with a goal of $25,000, which is incredible, and that's a lot of money, no doubt about it. And in five days, they've almost doubled that amount. You mentioned it, over $43,000 raised. It's incredible the way that the entire state of Idaho has come together for, for Dylan and his family. You know, that is commendable and it, and it is incredible for that uh, community to do that. It's, it's not the first time I've seen large amounts of money raised out of Butte County. Um, stories talking with Sam over the years, but this, of course, uh, the largest and uh, the, the most needed at this particular time. So I wish the, the Butte County Pirates their best in, in the rest of their season. And, uh, of course, the Waymeyer family once again and, and, uh, and the swift recovery of Dylan. Yeah, and, and this is coming from all corners of the state, uh, different communities, big ones, small ones. Uh, some people have said, hey, we, we've known the Waymeyers our whole life. They're great people. We'll do anything we can to help out. And so certainly our thoughts and prayers continue to be with Dylan as he recovers. And both teams knelt in prayer as well uh, during the stoppage of, of gameplay on Friday um, which I thought was a was a powerful moment also. And and in, in terms of, I, I don't like to brag about IdahoSports.com much, Coach, but we were broadcasting that game. Gary Jones and Logan Green were on the call, and I thought they handled that moment exceptionally well because that's, as a broadcaster, it's a situation you, you just never prepare for uh, because you hope it never happens. And so for a long delay in the game and for them to have the respect and the poignancy involved, I thought they knocked it out of the park as well. So... Well done, fellas. I wasn't able to listen to that broadcast, but uh, well done. Uh, good job. Yep. So, uh, again, uh, Dylan Waymeyer from Butte County continuing to uh, recover, recuperate. Uh, that GoFundMe link has been shared on the IdahoSports.com YouTube, uh, uh, Facebook page and, and Twitter account, and you can find it there. We'll continue to share it every couple of days as well because it's really important that we get the word out. But thank you to everybody who has donated uh, so far, it's it's really incredible to see. So, so Kendrick did get the win, Coach Kirkland. They're they're four and zero now. Butte County is five and one. First time that Butte County's been knocked back this year. They they learned what so many one AD one teams have learned that even though Kendrick's a one AD two school, probably still the best overall eight man team in the state this year. Yeah, playing some, uh, con continuing to play great uh, organized football, uh, executing very well. And uh, led, of course, by Ty Cap, who is doing a tremendous job and uh, continues to grow in that position and lead his team in, in all facets. So um, the machine keeps going. Cap had 213 yards and three touchdowns passing, uh, one to Sawyer Hewitt, one to Nathan Tweet, one to Hunter Taylor. Uh, Ty Cap also rushed for a touchdown and uh, Sawyer Hewitt returned a kickoff 66 yards for a score. So Ke Kendrick is tough enough to beat on just offense, but when you're allowing kick returns for touchdowns, coach, that makes it doubly hard. Those are quick scores. Yeah. You can't recover from those very quickly. You just got to go back to work and uh, hopefully you can get six as well. 
Yep. And Butte County hung in as long as they could, but uh, ultimately succumbed. Uh, Brody Westergaard scored a pair of touchdown runs for the Pirates there in the loss. So that was not our game of the week, Coach Kirkland. Our game of the week was a game actually uh, you were following very closely. It involves uh, your former team, the Cary Panthers. I say that you are still, of course, involved in the junior high program, but uh, the varsity program took on Valley. And we talked about it on the prep cast last week, coach. We said, this is a must win game for Kerry because we, we see the potential, right? They've been so close in so many games, but they don't have any actual wins to bankroll yet. And strength of schedule will get you pretty far, but at some point you do have to like win some games to, to feel secure about your playoff position. And Kerry comes out and wins by the final score of eight to six. We, we never see scores like this in the eight man game coach. It's uh, it was it was an interesting game. Uh, defense won that game, of course, um, and uh, a lot of a lot of chances, couple of chances anyway. Kerry got down to the one, the second half, and wasn't able to get it across. Valley got down to the three and couldn't get it across. Um, just kind of back and forth. I swear, the fourth quarter stayed on the on the uh, the Kerry thirty-five yard line for a half an hour. Um, Valley just going back and forth, penalties here and there. Just trying to get it across, but uh, once again, the the carry defense prevailed. Coach Durchie's been there 18 years, and uh, continues to dial up some some great uh, looks out of that three front, which is is killing it right now. And uh, just hold off a Valley team that was charging pretty hard. Yeah, and so uh, I'll ask you this because you know the players involved pretty well here. Uh, Nick versus, of course, missed the first handful of games of the season. And he he's an impact player uh, in the box. He can play linebacker. He can also light up at defensive end. And I don't think it's a coincidence that his return has kind of coincided with the defense elevating its game. But how, how important is, is a player like Nick versus to that carry defense? Well, Nick's a returning uh, player of the defensive player of the year, I believe last year for the uh the snake river conference as a junior and so he's back as a senior now he, he's just tough he could run into anything and not feel pain and and just go again this the same strength or more and uh, he he is playing three positions at d end at nose tackle down at d line and even some linebacker here and there and and uh, just going sideline to sideline and uh, he is a, a huge force on the, the panther d Definitely. And all the scoring occurred in the first half. So both defenses kind of settled in. Like you said, both teams had chances in that second half, but just couldn't get anything across. And like it so often does, the eight man game comes down to the two point conversions, right? Carey converted theirs. Uh, Valley did not. And that was the difference. We don't think it's going to be the difference in the game way back in the first half when it happens. But man, those conversions can add up. They certainly add up, and you, you got to have as many as you can get, and every single one counted, and, and just one counted that night, and it was an easy flat pass to, to Eddie Gamino in the flat, one juke, and across the goal line. That's all it took. Yep. Uh, for our Magic Valley prep cast, where we talk about you know just District 4 athletics, uh, our our host, Scott Burton, reached out to Coach John Saeli from Cary to get his thoughts on the big win, and, and Coach Saeli relayed a pretty cool story that – you you probably wouldn't notice unless unless you're a coach and 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 know you know the intricacies of football. Um, it was it was I believe in the fourth quarter. You tell me if I'm getting the story wrong here, Coach Kirkland. Uh, fourth quarter, uh, it's fourth and long. Kerry decides to go for it and they throw an interception. Am I follow? Am I right so far? 
Probably. Okay. <laughs> a lot that happened. Yeah, keep going. Okay, so so Carrie throws an interception. This is late late in the fourth quarter, and um, normally in that situation you'd go, oh man, now we gotta, <clears throat> you know, we're back on our heels. Valley's got this tremendous offense. We just gifted them, you know, a turnover, and there's a sophomore defensive back for Kerry by the name of Stockton Sears. And he was on the sideline in front of uh, one of the Kerry coaches. He didn't know he was being watched, but he, he grabbed one of the seniors. This is a sophomore, grabbed one of the seniors and looked him straight in the eyes and said, Hey, we've got this. Don't worry. We're going to get the stop. And they did. And for, for a sophomore Stockton Sears to have that kind of confidence to first of all approach a senior and grab him, but second of all, tell him, "Hey, it's all good. Relax, we've got this." I, I thought that was a cool leadership moment that you wouldn't notice unless you were really watching. Yeah, didn't see that, but uh, all it takes is for someone to say it, and and everyone to recognize it and to hear it, and then rally and go do it. And if no one says it, it, it doesn't happen. So way way to go, Stockton. His mom's the uh, the head girls basketball coach here. I'm not surprised at that move, but Stockton's a great leader and he he's a winner and uh, they definitely stopped him on defense. And this was kind of a story last year with, with the carry team, right? Where Preston Wood was the quarterback and, and was a sophomore. And yet he had those seniors on offense lined up and at attention, right? He was kind of the leader of the offense. Am I getting that right? He was. Yeah, he did a good job there. So how do you, because not everybody is fit to lead and especially as as underclassmen how do you how do you evaluate that and how quickly do you know that okay i've got this freshman or this sophomore and he's getting the respect of his peers how quickly does that pick up you know you, you have to create a couple of different uh, scenarios and and things and situations for for that leadership to rise and uh, i pretty much had the kids over at my house to see who was going to rise um, the the weeks before our first games and whoever spoke up first and started to take charge was the natural leader. And uh, if they were respected, which Preston was, then then they followed him. And that's that's the way we went. And that's that's how it should go sometimes, no matter how old they are. Yeah, so it's it's great to see the younger guys for Kerry continuing to to lead and be and be the drivers because that's leadership that's built in for you know two or three years. So that's good stuff to see. So Kerry gets the win, uh, their first win of the year, which was huge. They're one and four overall. They're one and two in Sawtooth Conference play. With that one win, coach, I did I did my big bracketology post this week on IdahoSports.com where I basically said, hey, if the playoffs started today. Here's what the playoffs would look like with that one win. Carrie, now a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the, the strength of schedule that we we have here in District Four, it's uh, you just need a couple of those W's in that column, and it'll propel you to to good places. Yeah. Now, of course, the Panthers have to keep winning. They can't just rest on this one game. They've got to uh, continue to stockpile wins. And we'll talk about that uh, when we preview the games coming up this weekend. But it was a good start for Kerry and for Valley. You know, they're still fine. They're, they're now two and two in league play. They're two and three overall. Valley also would be in the playoffs if the playoffs were to start today. So uh, back to the drawing board for for Coach Ayers and the Vikings, but uh, just goes to show any given week in this conference, Coach, uh, anybody can beat anyone. Yep, everybody's pretty hungry right now. <laughs> That's right. So while Gary and Valley were duking it out in our game of the week, I think more eyeballs were focused on that first place battle between Oakley and Lighthouse Christian. 
And this was an interesting game where Lighthouse actually is leading at halftime, 32 to 24. Coach Brandon Jones for Oakley, I'm sure, had a very enthusiastic talk with his team at halftime because they come out and outscore the Lions 36 to 6 in the second half, coach, to, to pull away and win easily. Yeah, I'm sure it was all positive, uh, positive stuff going on there at halftime. Some good motivation rolling. Um, and I think uh, I wrote the scores down here, outscored in the second half, six to 36. So definitely turned the, the tables there and, and got some uh, some people off the bus to, uh, to recognize the lighthouse is for real. Yeah, so this is something uh, Will and I talked about last week, Coach, where Oakley was a team that, you know, they're continuing to win, right? They're they're five and one overall. They're four and zero in conference play, and they had won really without having to use Bryce Severe a ton on offense because we know what kind of running back Bryce Severe is, and he's the kind of kid he could give the ball to twenty times a game and say, "Go do it." And they haven't had to do that really the last two years. Of course, he was injured for most of last season, and they worked him back very uh, lightly as he came back in the playoffs. Um, and they, they really haven't had to use him that much this year on offense. And we talked about it last week and said, you know, that's not, it's a nice thing for Oakley to have. It's kind of an ace up their sleeve. Um, and especially as we get into the playoffs, you know, to have a fresh Bry severe ready to go. I think this was the first game where Oakley finally said, okay, we actually need to lean on Bry a little more. And he broke out. He had three rushing touchdowns. He caught two touchdowns from Kyler Robinson as well. And so, for for us, it was nice to see us talking about, okay, Bryce Severe is this kind of, you know, hidden trick here. And Oakley finally had to lean on him and use him. And it just shows how lethal and deep this Oakley team is. Yeah, it's it's always fun to to be able to give it to your horse there over and over again and, and get uh, and just improve himself against a good team. And uh, and now we, we knew it was, it was all already true, but uh, he proved it once again this year. And he's a, he's a top lead candidate there, and he's definitely a horse. Yep. So Justice Schrader had five touchdown passes for Lighthouse Christian, most of those in the first half. Uh, Case Van Leeuwen caught three of the five touchdowns for Lighthouse as well. And that was the one kind of critique I had of Lighthouse Christian coach, and it kind of happened in the carry game as well, where sometimes their offense does bog down a little bit, it seems like. They do have a lot of toys in the toy box offensively, but I don't know. It just seems like there's times this year where they kind of get into a lull offensively, and uh, it nearly cost them against Kerry, and it did cost them against Oakley. Yeah, um, sometimes I, I, uh, I've wondered, uh, well, you see teams pass themselves into a hole or into a pass themselves to death, as I call it, um, and thinking that's going to continue to work all the time when the run game is really kind of what uh, gets you those first downs over and over again and, and maintains that possession. Uh, I, I didn't watch the game there, but uh, I, I imagine Oakley stepped it up a bunch there, and I don't know if Lighthouse got complacent or not in that second half, but uh, definitely the, the tide turned that second half in favor of the Hornets. Yeah, and that's something we've been wanting to talk about for a couple of weeks too, is kind of that offensive philosophy where you do have to have a bat, you know, this will sound cliche, right, Coach? You do have to have that balance a little bit where you, you can definitely lean more run or lean more pass, but you've got to be able to, to do the other component at least somewhat to, to keep defenses honest. And so we see a pass heavy team, like a, a lighthouse Christian. We have seen Oakley be more pass heavy this year. We've seen Kerry at times be more pass heavy this year. And, and then on the flip side of that, you know, I think of a team like North gem that pretty much exclusively runs the ball. And if they passed it three times in, in a game, then 
you know, the game plan was out the window. Um, but you you do have to to have that balance. How how tricky is that finding that offensive balance? Well, we've we've always started with the run in in, uh, in our programs. Um, we've always had great running backs, of course, a lot of all state kids there. But uh, years ago, Randy Spath was giving a speech, and he talked a lot about if if you can run, you're going to win. And that was his quote, and uh, it kind of stuck with me. It's like, don't get so tricky, Ricky, with your passing that you die every every time it comes to, to fourth down. Uh, you, you, don't, you can get three yards three times. You're almost there. You don't give yourself a chance. But uh, So you do have to take a step back, I think, once in a while, if you're really run heavy and say, well, maybe we can't throw this ball around here, but let's make sure it's going to be a completion and it's simple to start with. Yeah, I do agree, though, with – Amen. Football. Traditionally, the teams that have been able to establish that run first and then sprinkle in, it seems like you start with the run and then it's home runs passing where the defense isn't expecting it and you throw a 10 yard route, but there's nobody in the area and it turns into a 60 yard touchdown. Right. 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 And that's that's always good to have in your, your playbook there. I used to call those first strike plays when you could just get after we had 10 of those on the list and uh, use those frequently on first downs to, to jumpstart and uh, kind of surprise. Definitely. So uh, you mentioned Randy Spath. Of course, he, he knows a lot about the game of football, uh, successful coach at Raft River. Now he's the athletic director. And uh, speaking of Raft River, there was an, that was another team we said kind of like Kerry, like, man, these guys have got to start, you know, bankrolling some wins and, and especially in conference play. Yeah, I'd say you can you can check that box. Uh, they beat Glens Ferry seventy three to forty two. Raft Rivers now one and three in Sawtooth play, two and three overall. Kai Ward rushes for two hundred ninety one yards and six touchdowns. Coach, just what you were talking about. Oh yeah, that's a great track meet. He'll be conditioned all this week. I don't need to worry about those forties. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of points and uh, a good a good win for Raft River. And he he doesn't really get a break because he he obviously ran the ball exceptionally well, but he's also the kicker. So he you know he scores the touchdown, and then he's got to go and kick the ball off too. So yeah, yeah, that's always a, a fun one to balance there. Your all your starters are on a kickoff team, and who do you sub out? Oh. <laughs> that's right. Like that, uh, looks like he couldn't have subbed anybody out with that many that many points scored on both sides. So just keep yeah. going. Just keep it rolling for sure. Um, uh, the uh, Raft River defense played well. Kai Ward led the way, 12 tackles on defense as well. Uh, he probably was flipping burgers at halftime in the concession stand also. He kind of did it all for uh, Raft River in that game. Landon Stewart threw for 232 yards and three touchdowns for Glens Ferry in the loss. The Pilots dropped to 1-4 and four overall. 0-3 in the league, and we talked about this, Coach, that somebody has to take last place in this conference. Doesn't mean you're a bad team. I think Glens Ferry is, is pretty decent compared to some teams from other leagues, but man, in this conference, it's just hard to find your footing sometimes. It is. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think Kerry travels to Glens Ferry this week, and uh, we'll we'll see how that continues to go there, but the Glens Ferry is a solid team. Good, good uh Good points put up there on the board for those guys still, and uh, they still got a shot. Yep, they're doing a great job under a first-year coach, Eric Stewart, there in in Glens Ferry. All right, let's stick to 1A D1 football, but let's go north to the White Pine League. This was the matchup everybody wanted to see. Logos and Potlatch, two undefeated teams coming in. Logos wins 76-36, to but if you just look at the score, you're missing some of the context here because – 
these teams were trading blows in the first half, Coach, until Potlatch's quarterback, Jack Clark, had to leave with an injury. Um, and from there, uh, you know, Potlatch just couldn't get anything going, and Logos kept piling on the points. But uh, if I think if Clark is able to play that full game, who knows how it turns out? Boy, yeah, that, that's tough. We talked about losing uh, good players here uh, this whole season. And uh, in the middle of a game like that, competitive game where you're you're neck and neck, you got to have those guys there. and it, It's tough. Looks like it took a toll. It definitely did. Meanwhile, Jack, the other Jack, this was a pair of Jacks here. Jack Driscoll for Logos, Jack Clark for, uh, for Potlatch. Jack Driscoll played the whole game, seven touchdowns, threw for four, rushed for three. Ryan Daniels caught three of the four touchdowns on offense. And so here's Logos now five and zero in the white pine six and zero overall. There is a good chance they get to the postseason with an undefeated record. And uh, how, how hard is that when you, I think most coaches will tell you, Hey, we don't mind an early season non-conference loss just to tell our guys that, Hey, sometimes you can't just show up and, and, and win. You have to work at it. Um, Conversely, the longer you go undefeated, you know, the more the pressure intensifies, right? Yeah, it uh, it, it sure does. Uh, it it's uh, it gives you a lot of confidence being undefeated, going into that uh, that that bracket. That uh, will, uh, I'm sure they'll they're preparing. Uh, my question for Logos, and I think the question they may they have for themselves as well is is how tough are they physically? How tough are they mentally? When the greater challenges will come to them. Um, later on in this in this postseason, but right now they seem to be executing and doing a great job. It's a lot of points. Yeah, they really haven't faced too much adversity in terms of. I think this potlatch game was the first time, and they were trading scores, but they were trailing at certain points too. And so, interesting thought exercise there. Okay, let me ask you as a, as a coach, what did you prefer? Did you were you okay with an early season? You never want to lose in conference in in league, but were you okay with an early season non conference loss to get it out of the way or? Or do you not mind the undefeated runs? I, I like the undefeated, honestly. I, I thought it gave us confidence, uh, sometimes too much, and it, it hurt us in a, in a couple of occasions. But uh, to be undefeated uh, is, is, a, is a great confidence booster, and you can ride that a long ways. Well, and if you can finish the job, it's a special story too, right? For sure. Yeah, I remember in 2008 we met Kootenai. We were both 11-0, and 0, and that was, that was a, a matchup, and uh, I was scared to death. My, my third shot at a title there, and uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. <laughs> but uh, you just do your best, and uh, your, your kids rise to the occasion. Yeah, so we'll see if Logos can keep it going. I think they'll get to the playoffs and be undefeated, and then we'll we'll see how it shakes out from there. Um, right. The other big game up north was with Kamii and Prairie. Kamii wins this pretty convincingly, 50 to 14 Kamii led 30 to nothing at halftime. David Clute continued to do his thing. 214 yards, five touchdowns passing also rushed for 72 yards and a touchdown. And Clute also came away with two interceptions on defense. And I don't even think he's the best player on, on that Kamii defense. I think that's Porter Whipple, 12 tackles, three sacks and a fumble recovery. This is a Kamii team that has had one blip against Logos. And that was, to me, it was a head scratcher because they only put up 12 points in that loss. But I, I think Kamii is going to be a dangerous team when we get into the postseason. Yeah, they, they could be a sleeper team up there that, uh, that wakes and arises. And I've seen, I've seen that happen with that group before. Um, I think it was against Butte County last year, 
couple of years ago where they, they rose and uh, they just kind of get some bloodthirsty for in the, in the playoffs and uh, can't ever count Cami out. Yeah, they got to the final four, much like your carry team did last year. Uh, you guys played Oakley the, the first night, and then the next day, Cami, I played Grace in that other semifinal. And, um, you know, they just had a couple of turnovers and, and fell in the semis. And so I know they're hungry to get back there. But Cami, I four and one overall, three and one in the White Pine League, looking good. Prairie now, meanwhile, slides down to, to fourth place for the time being. And they've got Lapway breathing down their necks right now um for for fourth and fifth in the league and really all they're guaranteed up north is three playoff spots and you can try and get an at-large playoff bid right now though that's a that's a tall order because the district four uh seems to be gobbling up all the at-large bids so really you to to guarantee a spot in the playoffs you got to finish in the top three and you figure with logos and kamii pretty much locking up two spots there it's going to come down to prairie lapway or potlatch um there's going to be some important games here over the final three weeks up north. Yeah, some teams are going to have to finish as strong as possible and hope that strength of schedule carries them uh, all the way to the end for at-large spots. It's, it's going to be tough. I mean, you can pretty much give one to Butte County or Grace, whoever doesn't win District 5-6. And then right now, Cary and, and Valley would get the other two at-large bids, uh, according to the bracketology that I ran. So, yeah, it, it's it's getting uh, late. Uh, it's getting late early up there for some of those teams. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Um, okay. Let's switch now to one, a D two football coach. And we'll start again in the magic Valley. Cause that's where the, the big, the big matchup on paper was you had Camas County and Hagerman battle of undefeated teams. Winner would kind of be in the driver's seat for first place. Camas County wins 64 to eight. Uh, I'm running out of things to say about this Camas County team. They're deep. They're balanced. They play good defense. They have lots of guys that can contribute on offense. And Camas is two and zero in the conference and four and one overall. Looking, looking really strong. And I think getting better every every week. Uh, and traded blows with uh, Hagerman eight to eight there for a little bit, but uh, didn't look back after that. And uh, that shows a lot of good discipline on both sides of the football and commitment to uh, just playing. Uh, Playing good hard football, hit the six points a lot. Well, and they only allowed eight, and that was on a kickoff return for a touchdown. So they really shut down what had been a high octane Hagerman offense. And meanwhile, also in in uh, the Sawtooth Conference last week, you had Dietrich playing Castleford. Uh, Connor Perkins takes the opening kickoff back ninety yards for a touchdown. Dietrich rocking and rolling from there. Uh, we were concerned about the Blue Devils for a minute here, going boy. Could, could they not make the playoffs? Is that a possibility after getting all the way to the championship last year? They seem to have found their footing a little bit. They're three and two overall. They're one and one in league play, and they got to win over a Castleford team that, that's going to be huge because Castleford, basically it's going to come down to right now five teams are all either two and oh or one and one in the league where Camus is two and oh, and then you look at Dietrich, Hagerman, Castleford, and Hanson. They're all one and one. Do, do, I don't have the mathematical skills to figure this thing out, Coach. Do you? Uh, so let's see. It had been about 10 days ago. Coach Rife from Hanson sent me an email and he says, Hey, Coach, can you send me the old, the old uh, Sawtooth Constitution bylaws for, for what we have to do for breaking ties and stuff? So I, I found it and I sent it to him. And uh, I imagine they're going over that pretty heavy right now to see who's, uh, 
what's going to happen here if there ends up being some three-way ties there near the end. Wow. I might ask you for a copy of that too, if you've got it, just so I know on my end what to be on the lookout for. That's crazy. <laughs> it's old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Coach Jim Reif at, at Hanson doing a great job. We, we haven't talked about them a lot this year, but they, they definitely uh, deserve some credit. You know, they're one and one in the league. Now they've got the really tough part of their schedule coming up here against, you know, Camus and, and Dietrich, et cetera. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. All I know is Dietrich's got a head to head win over Castle Ford, which, which is huge at this point for the blue devils. Um, and we'll continue to see how it all shakes out from here. Um, over in East Idaho, one, eight D two district five and six coach. We talked about last week, Mackie playing North gem in a game that we thought most likely was going to decide the second and final playoff berth from that league. You know, we think Rockland is, is the favorite and will take the championship. Um, but then we said the winner of this game is going to get that second spot. Well, North gem comes through with a 28 to 22 victory. Uh, they built up a 28 to 14 lead North gem did, and then had to sweat it out in the second half as Mackie uh, nearly came away with the, uh, the come from behind win. How about this rushing uh, totals from, from North gem coach uh, Craig Yost, 158 yards rushing rusty hatch, 157. If you ever had two backs have a nearly identical rushing number like that. I'm not so sure about that. that, that that's about as balanced as you can get right there. <laughs> Another hatch carrying the ball. There you go. <laughs> yes, we know all about Bridger Hatch, who who quarterbacked North Gem a couple of years ago. Rusty now, the the younger brother, is is quarterbacking this North Gem offense, and we've talked about it. They've got nine guys, so they're 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 doing a real Iron Man football there in North Gem. But it sure it sure looks like um, they've wrapped up a playoff spot. They will play Rockland in the regular season finale on October twentieth, in a game that should decide the league title. Uh, and really, Rockland plays Mackie this Friday, Coach. If Rockland wins wins that game, I think that pretty much sews it up for, for Rockland yeah. and North Jim. Yeah, that should seal the deal right there. One, two, three, and, uh, and then head into the bracket from there. So uh, congrats to North Jim. That's a big win and a big step forward. And I know their coach, Corey Hatch, and he says, yeah, that's nice, but we we want Rockland too. We want, we want a piece of the big dog and let, bring it on. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, let's go. Let's go up to District One, the North Star League, where you had another battle of teams that were fighting for first place. Mullen St. Regis was taking on Lakeside. Tigers have kind of had a problem with starting slow this year in, in talking to their coach Stetson Spooner. No problems this time. A 54 to 32 win over the Knights. They played it at the Mariman Health Core Center in Worley, that, that beautiful turf facility they've got there. Um, Kofi Apia rushes for 212 yards and five touchdowns. John Pruitt has 88 yards and a pair of TDs. And their freshman quarterback, Connor Lewis, throws for 152 yards and a touchdown. Now, Quincy Hall for Lakeside had a great game, 223 yards and two touchdowns rushing, but boy, they just couldn't come up with a stop when they needed it. And now the Tigers are in the driver's seat. They're 6-0 overall. They're 4-0 in the North Star League. They will play Lakeside one more time. Lakeside would not only have to beat Mullen St. Regis, but they would have to be on the right side of the point differential tiebreaker as well to win the league championship. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Mullen Mullen's still continues to play good football. Um, as I was going over uh, your notes here this evening to review for tonight's podcast, I I wondered if the the uh, co-op factor continues to play 
in Mullen St. Regis's favor up there in the league um, and how that how, can, helps them continue to be able to, to continue to win. It does. It, it's it's very interesting because this is a league that has it's with Kootenai now dropping out for the season. It's Mullen St. Regis, which definitely benefits from a co-op. They they now have enough numbers to to have a strong team. Um, but also, you know, the other the other teams in their league, I don't think like the co-op that much. But but here's where I come down on it is if you look at the other schools that are in their league, Clark Fork is moving up a level next year. They'll be in the new two A uh, for all sports except football. So they're bigger than Mullen. And then Lakeside and Wallace are already two A schools. What, what will be 2A next year? They're 1A D1 schools, and they petitioned down to play football. So Mullen is by far, besides Kootenai, the smallest school in the conference. And so I don't have a problem with them putting the co-op together to try and get numbers to match up with some of these bigger schools. For sure, for sure. And then as long as they're playing football, that's always a good thing, and the competition's still really good. Oh. Yeah, um, but they they do. They definitely have some some players from that St. Regis side and, and a – really a co-head coach, you know, Stetson Spooner is the head coach from Mullen, but the, the coach from the St. Regis side, Jesse Allen is also a very good coach. And those two complement each other very well. Um, it's really fun to watch those two work and coach together from two totally different communities in two totally different states. Last year, uh, I was up there broadcasting Mullen St. Regis hosted garden Valley in the quarterfinal round coach. And, uh, it was, you know, in November, snow would come over the pass. And so the St. Regis players came over to Mullen to practice. And then a semi had gotten jackknifed and it closed down the entire interstate Friday night. This was the night before a Saturday afternoon playoff game. And so the St. Regis kids were stuck in Mullen. And so everybody on the team said, all right, uh, sleep over tonight and we'll take a player. And this family will take two players. And they kind of had a mini on the fly sleepover. It was kind of cool. Hey, team bonding right there. That probably got some football into. <laughs> yep, definitely. So those are the cool stories uh, we love to hear about uh, there. So yeah, Mullen St. Regis in the driver's seat uh, for the league championship. And and that's important this year, Coach, because this 1AD2 bracket is predetermined, right? Everybody gets slotted in based upon where you finish in your conference. The champion from District 1 it's home field advantage all the way through the playoffs this year, coach. They're at the very top of that bracket. And so if Mullen St. Regis wins this league, they don't have to leave home as long as they keep on winning. And then you're looking at maybe, you know, if they get to the championship, you know, Kibby Dome in Moscow might have to be the furthest they travel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always a great benefit to be able to stay home and, uh, and play right, uh, right there next door especially up north, right? Because, you know, if you talk about home field advantage for, you know, let's say Dietrich and they're playing North Gem, okay, well, that's it's a manageable drive. But when you're going to North Idaho, it doesn't matter if you're in the Magic Valley or East Idaho or the West. It's a long it's a long trip north, and you probably have to break it up over a couple of days, right? It's, it's several days recovery, <laughs> and you just hope you get there and don't get stuck in a snowstorm and turn around. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a great advantage for for Mullen St. Regis to uh, to carry that through and and good motivation. What's what's the worst road trip you've had to go on? It, it was a uh, a couple of years ago to, to Kendrick. We were going out to play there, and we turned around at Weezer. Too much snow, and I ended up playing the title game on Monday. A couple of years ago, I think it was. Yeah, it was two years ago. Wow. So. 
a little You're Monday night football. Oh, no, but we we felt like we just needed to go home, so we did, and I think it I think it took a toll. But. Yeah, that's tough uh, to to mentally then try to get up for for that on a on a weird day like a Monday. That is that is interesting for sure. And so yes, having that home field advantage would be huge uh, for Mullen St. Regis or or Lakeside. You know, if they if they can somehow pull it out too, that would be huge for them also. Yeah. Um, all right, District Three. We'll wrap up with the Longpin Conference Council beats Tri Valley twenty eight to fourteen. The Lumberjacks are three and three overall. They're two and zero in conference play. Tri Valley suffers their first loss in conference. They're two and one in the league, three and two overall. Uh, Lumberjacks uh, played Smash Mouth football. I've, I've said this a couple of times this year, but their fullback Mason Roberts and their running back Dalton Bingham—it's a devastating one-two combo in that council backfield. They're two tough hombres. They are. Those are those are tough dudes. I went to athletic.net to look up their hundred meter times and Mason's eleven nine and, and Dalton's eleven four. Fast, big, strong dudes. And the council's always been known for smash mouth football. Just I mean they represent their mascot ten times, you know, the lumberjacks. And then they come lay on the wood and uh, they it's it's always a hammer game there. And then because of that, they were able to hit on a couple of those first strike plays you were talking about at the at the start of the show tonight, Coach, where uh, Owen Hatfield threw two long touchdown passes to Decker McLinn also for Council, and that was basically the difference as they win 28-14. to Tri-Valley scored on touchdown runs by Gage Warren and Jace Wagoner. You know, I've watched this Tri-Valley team on, on tape a lot. I, I like this team. I really do. They hung pretty tough with Council, gave up a couple of big plays defensively, and that was really the difference. Tri-Valley's got a lot of speed, too. They've got Clayton Harper, who... Uh, did he win the 100 last year at state track? Sure, but, but he's 11 He's he's smoking fast, yeah. And he's <laughs> he's 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 tall, you know. He's like six one, six two. Uh, yeah. They've got Gage Warren, who's who's uh, fast. Wagoner, the trigger man for that offense. And so I think Tri Valley is a team that's going to compete for one of those three playoff spots. It's going to come down to basically Horseshoe Bend, Garden Valley, Tri Valley for those last uh, two playoff spots from district three, I think council comfortably has a spot right now. Um, and there's, there's a scenario where coach garden Valley is five and one right now, but they, they finished the year with this gauntlet of horseshoe bend council and Tri Valley. You know, the Wolverines are one losing streak away from not making the playoffs. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's, you, you gotta give it everything you got this last, uh, stint there and those three games are really going to count so i think there'll be some great focus and some good ball games to watch there yeah and you will have a chance to catch guarded valley uh two times over the next three weeks we're going to broadcast the council game but also this friday a little 3 30 kickoff one of those afternoon kickoffs you love so much coach uh, garden valley gonna host horseshoe bend friday at 3 30 on idahosports.com good opportunity to see both horseshoe bend and garden valley with your own eyes yeah, yeah, nothing like that. And then you can catch the later game. So it's a twofer. You're done. <laughs> yep. A lot of good uh eleven man games uh on the nightcap uh schedule uh to whet your appetite there. But so horseshoe bend and garden valley, really important game for both teams. Uh whoever wins will have a leg up on the other, try and get one of those three final playoff spots. Other big games that are happening at the one A D two level this week, coach. You've got Castle Ford at Hagerman. And now Castle Ford, after losing to Dietrich, this almost feels like a must-win game for them. Yeah, um, I was just in the Castle Ford uh, yesterday, 
at a junior high game there and, and talking with Coach Lowry and uh, he bragging about his 11 freshmen and his three amazing seniors. Um, always fun to, to have a chuckle with uh, <laughs> with Coach Lowry. He's, he's a comical guy and pretty down to earth that uh, they're going to have to rally against a big physical Hagerman team. Um, he was uh, given the weights of his massive linebackers at 115 and 120. Um, well, he was given that that laugh with that good beard he has, and uh, they'll hold their own. They're going to tackle well. The uh, Hagerman's going to going to bring uh, some big dudes at him. Yeah, and so we will see uh, in this battle, winner of that game will kind of have an inside track. Uh, but like we talked about, Hanson, Dietrich are all in the mix as well. So hopefully, we don't have to break out that old league constitution. Hopefully, we just. Have some simplicity, but I something something tells me it's going to come down to some some weird tiebreakers. We'll see. Um, you've got we talked about Rockland at Mackey. You know, if Rockland wins that game, uh, you can pretty much lock up the two playoff spots for Rockland and North Gem. If Mackey wins, then you got potentially like a three way tie scenario, and I don't know how you figure that out either. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are over there. Let, let there, me ask. Oh, go ahead. Is there, standard set of tie-breaking rules somewhere out there. I, I, we were trying to get something like that uh, created. Uh, seemed like six, eight, ten years ago in the Sawtooth Conference. Is, is there a standard set of rules of tie-breaking somewhere besides head-to-head -head or flipping a coin or three-way, four-way playoffs? I, I'm not sure. No, every league does it differently. I, I think it was my first year here at IdahoSports.com, which would have been three years ago. We had like six or seven, I feel like Kansas city playoffs, <laughs> like the Monday after the regular season, all these teams ended up tied with each other. What, what would you prefer as a coach? Would you prefer just a strict set of tiebreaker criteria? Um, or would you, Hey, let's, let's meet up on Monday and do a jamboree and <laughs> figure this thing out. Um, we, we just, we flipped a coin. One time we had a three-way tie in 2015 for first with us, Dietrich, and somebody else, I can't remember. And, and we came out on top of that. I mean, we hosted and, and uh, still ended up third. So it was a good deal for us. I don't think I've ever been involved in a playoff that I can remember. But uh, I've watched plenty, and uh, you, just, you just don't know. It's one play away, one missed tackle, one fumble. But uh, it certainly settles it. So um, I still think playing is the best way to do it. We, I think we all agreed on that first place coin flip. So we could stay healthy because it wasn't going to matter. And uh, we felt we were all pretty confident in going to the next, uh, the next level. So, yeah. So, so uh, what is, how, how does the coin flip work? Do you hold it at a school? Do you hold it? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the movie Friday night lights where they met at this diner, like <laughs> in between the two towns yeah. and the sheriff came out and flipped the coin. What, what is the coin flip like? Uh, I, I, uh, our new athletic director, Lee J cook was his first year. And he had all the luck, and I think it was odd man out. I can't remember um, how it won, how it turned out, but he won. He won that coin toss, and I don't know where they met either. It might have been the Manhattan Cafe and Show Show, and I can't remember. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm going to have to ask Lee J and and yeah. ask him about that weighted coin he was using. Mm -hmm. It's it's a safe place right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, well, hopefully we don't have to break out the coin flip this year. Hopefully the on-field results can just determine all of these crazy playoff scenarios. Uh, the last 1AD2 game I wanted to highlight is a non-conference game, but I think it's a game that could tell us a lot about each of these respective teams. Lewis County 
at Tri-Valley. Lewis County is finally healthy. They were banged up this year and took it on the chin a couple of times. They're two and three. Tri-Valley is three and two. These are two teams I think could make the playoffs, but I could also see a world where they miss out on the playoffs too. That's why I'm intrigued to see how this one goes. Right. And uh, once again, it'll be a battle there for between both those teams to see who's going to bounce back there. And if Lewis County has, has rallied enough and, uh, and prepared, uh, they'll give Tri-Valley all they can handle. Yeah, it's going to be a long trip down there for for Lewis County down to uh, Midvale to, to play that game. Uh, 1-8-D-1 games to watch this week. Uh, you've got Lighthouse Christian at Valley. Lighthouse after losing to Oakley, Valley after losing to Carey. You never want a two-game losing streak, Coach. And for, honestly, I thought coming in that this was a more important game for Valley to win only because they were two and three, but Honestly, you know, there's a scenario where Lighthouse could could stumble down the stretch here and not get one of those three auto bids to the playoffs. So I think it's more important for Lighthouse, actually. Right, for sure. Um, you, you just want to keep winning as many as you can there. And and uh, I don't know if Lighthouse came out healthy from the, the Oakley game or not. Uh, to, you, you miss a player or two and you could skip a beat here and there. The Valley's not to be discounted. Um, we, we carry just handled uh, Hardy really well in the run game, but, uh, there's, there's still a very dangerous threat and, uh, it, it should be a pretty good shootout. I think. Yeah. And so for lighthouse as well, they have to keep winning. I feel like because the, the final game of the regular season is shaping up to be a good one lighthouse at Murtaugh, that could be a game for second and third place. If both teams keep winning, um, and that's the difference between a home playoff game and a road playoff game, which is important in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I think a very similar situation uh, last year between those same two teams, back-to-back weeks. So that'll be another good one. I might go to that one. <laughs> that'll be that'll be a fun game. That is October 20th. Both teams got a long way to go to get there, but that would be a really fun game to do. Uh, yeah, so they played in the regular season finale last year. Murtaugh won. And then Murtaugh had to host Lighthouse in the first round of the playoffs the very next week. Uh, I went there to broadcast that game, Coach. I remember it well. Uh, Lighthouse was missing Justice Schrader, their quarterback. He was out with an injury. So Case Van Leeuwen stepped in and led the Lions to the upset win. And so ever since then, I'm sure Murtaugh has been very motivated to make sure uh, that doesn't happen again. So Yeah, they won't forget that. Uh, here it comes. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, before we get to that, though, uh, both teams have big matchups. Valley hosting Lighthouse Christian, Murtaugh hosting Raft River. You know, I was looking at Raft River's schedule down the stretch here. Um, and for the Trojans, you know, we talked about they needed to get a, a win in, in league and they finally did. And now Raft River finishes the year with Murtaugh and then Butte County and then Cary. If they run the table, I think they're in comfortably. They probably even get one of those three auto bids. Yeah, for sure. Yep. You got to pick up a, a few more wins along the way here. And uh, I, I don't think you can ever count Raft River team out. They are. They're like the, uh, it, it, they're like the killer in a Halloween movie, right? If you can, if you can just make sure they don't even get inside the house, <laughs> then, you know, once they're in the house though, who knows once they're in the playoffs, I don't know. Raft River's dangerous. I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great analogy right there. I can't one up that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it all starts with uh, a road trip to Murtaugh. Very important game for both teams, um, Raft River at Murtaugh. Uh, and then uh, you've got Lapway at Prairie. I, I talked about this a little earlier where, 
You know, Prairie's in fourth place right now, kind of precariously. If they lose this game to Lapway, Lapway leapfrogs them, and it's Lapway in fourth place. You know, there is a path where Prairie could get an at-large bid to the playoffs, but I don't think they can lose anymore. So every game is a must-win for Prairie from here on out. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, over in District 3, you know, we've talked about this a, a lot this year. We like Notice. Notice is going to win the league. Notice is going to get a top four uh, seed. They're going to get a first round buy, all that great stuff. But somebody else from that league is going to get a playoff spot. Who's it going to be? I don't know. Idaho City just beat Wilder last week. Now Rimrock gets their shot at Wilder. Don't forget, Wilder has seen a couple of kids come over from Greenleaf Friends. They're still kind of coalescing, but I don't know. It probably comes down to Rimrock and Idaho City in the regular season finale like it did last year. Idaho City won that game and then got to play your Cary Panthers in the first round. But uh, until we know for sure who that second team is going to be, I guess every game that doesn't involve notice is going to be must must see just to see who wins. Yeah, battle for second place is, is, is as hungry as anything, and uh, we'll just have to play it out and we'll find out here soon. Yep. So while they're at 0 and 5, a chance to to win their last couple of games of the season, get into the playoffs, and and Rimrock at 1 and 5, kind of in the same boat. That'll be an interesting game, uh, for sure. So, all right, coach, we ran through it all. Uh, we got in and out fairly quickly. We had some good analogies, some good stories along the way. I thought this was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it, hope I uh, did good. Will I don't know. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for letting me play. You know, I was just going to say, I'll, I'll give Will the bad news on Monday that uh, we gave him his walking papers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's not do that. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, will Henneke will be back next week. Coach Kirkland will be back next week. And, uh, of course, uh, I'll be here as well. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Idaho 8-Man Prepcast. Don't forget, we've got Horseshoe Band at Garden Valley Friday, 3.30. 8-Man Action. You can watch totally live, totally free on idahosports.com. Otherwise, enjoy the competition, everybody, and we will see you next week for another edition of the Idaho 8-Man Prepcast on idahosports.com.